Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. And I know we say it's special every week, but anytime it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, it has to be a special pod. Yes, as we are talking about his newest film, Licorice Pizza. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair I met the girl on the Mary one day But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go Listen, young lady But her friend is nowhere to be seen So how'd you become such a hotshot actor? She walks through her I'm a showman. That's what I'm meant to do. To the seat with the clearest view wow, 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 wow. And she's hooked to the silver screen Do you know who I am? Yeah Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand Sand Sand, yeah, like sands Like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand? No, like Streisand Sand But the film is a sad thing for This is fate that brought us together But she's lived it ten times or more Our roads took us here She could spit in the eye you're not my director. They ask to Do you really want to see my boobs? Can I touch them? See tomorrow. I didn't introduce ourselves. I got I, I, I got so excited about the actual pod, I forgot to I'm Jeremy Fisk, that's Chapin Hemingway, and also Lee Carlo. Alright, guys. So PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson, one of our favorite film directors, and I would venture to say one of the most respected, critically respected film directors working today. Um, he has this new movie out, Licorice Pizza, starring Alana Ham and Cooper Hoffman. Both have never been in a movie before as far as I understand. Alana Ham is a singer. I, I, I guess Paul Thomas Anderson has done some of her music videos before, so I'm sure that's where that relationship started. And Cooper Hoffman is the son of longtime collaborator with Paul Thomas Anderson, Philip Seymour Hoffman. All right, so bear with me on this a little bit because it's going to start out as a bit of a cop-out, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, we were almost just talking about it before we got on the air, Lee. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot to digest in Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, and there, I always walk away from the first screening of them saying, "I don't know exactly how I felt about that. I, I was enjoying it, but what was it? You know, I always think I need to. I, I for a proper review, I need to see." A Paul Thomas Anderson movie a second time. And I know we've talked about this before. But then it got me thinking, like, why is that? What is it about his film specifically that elicits that type of response? And it's not just from me and you guys. I've heard that from other critics as well. Um, and I started wondering, like, is it just because he's such a in-depth filmmaker that there's so much to digest that it's hard to uh, quite understand it the first time around like what specifically is it and i think what i've pinpointed at least for me is relationships of characters in his films the relationships of 
his characters are borderline, if not fully fucked up, but to the point where there is some sort of compassion and interest that you want to try to wrap your mind around it, but really can't. Like you just don't have... Most people don't have a frame of reference for a lot of these relationships. You look at Daniel Plainview and his son. Like you, you even go to like the romantic comedies of his, or the romantic characters of his um, in Punch Drunk Love and, and Phantom Thread. Um, you look at Lancaster and Freddie from The Master. Anyone in Boogie Nights and Magnolia, um, and even all the way back to like Hard Eight. Uh, with Philip Seymour Hoffman and John C. Riley, none of these relationships are in any way traditional, which makes the films more unique. And I believe it's what draws you back to them because you're trying to figure out how these these humans on the outskirts of society almost every time in one way or another connect to each other. And you see that here again with a uh, inappropriate uh, relationship, maybe between Alana, who's like twenty six, I think, and Cooper Hoffman, who's in high school, uh, a borderline statutory relationship that somehow Paul Thomas Anderson romanticizes in a very nostalgic way, and I think pulls off, but. Would you guys agree with me that that's part of the intrigue of his movies and why we're always saying, I got to see these again? And if if so, do you think this film fits into that category? Yeah, I think that's a really astute observation. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I think, I think it might not be... I mean, you're right about the relationships. I might phrase it as just like the characters are don't behave like normal movie characters do. I mean, I think Plainview is a great example of that. The two, uh, Lancaster Dodd and um, Freddie from The Master in particular. But you don't think the relationship between those characters are the, the crux of it? Well, I think, no. I mean, I think that relationship is odd. I think that both those characters, and at least in The Master, are enigmatic. They aren't easy to figure out. You aren't, they aren't obvious in what they're doing. I mean, even, even what in after having seen the master many, many times and, 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 you know, tried to dissect it. I, I'm not even sure now what Freddie is up to. Like in my, in my mind, he's, he has trouble experiencing this new religion that Lancaster is, is trying to teach. And that's a big frustration. I think it, to me, no, it's, it's not the relationship so much as it's the characters. I mean, I know that the relationship, well, what of, if I, what if I put it this way? It, not necessarily the relationships, although that's a key part of it, but the motivations, uh, the characters, yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. And I think it works here too. I mean, I, with Cooper Hoffman's character, he's just unlike any 15 or 16 year old I've ever seen on film. You know, he's got these businesses, he's, sort of charming but geeky he's you know he's not he doesn't fit into like a mold really um and yeah that's that's i wouldn't say it's hard to relate to but it it takes some i don't want to say study but it takes some focus to figure out 
what PTA's characters are, are all about. I mean, I, I mean, don't really know about Boogie Nights. I, you know, I'm not a, as big a fan of that movie as you guys are, but um, certainly everything else he's done. Is, oh, well, Boogie Nights, I would certainly say those characters are very uh, curious in their motivations. And I think try, as an audience member trying to figure those out, because there's no judgment from PTA. As, as you can clearly see from this movie. I mean, you have a 26-year-old and a 15-year-old, and uh, he makes that relationship somehow work. I mean, it's not you're not ignoring it, but at the same time, there's no judgment coming from his side of you things. You also want them to get together. Yeah, in, in a way, you're almost you're rooting for it. So you, I think that's a big part of what makes him a fascinating director is because he pulls you in on these characters that... You go, who is this? Why did they? Why are they talking like that? Why are they doing this? Well, like, but but there's there's realism to them, and you and they're they're fully developed, and and you want to either see them succeed as porn stars or oil tycoons or whatever, or see them fail. But you least have a a, a rooting interest that may that you may need to see again in order to fully kind of or or. Maybe you never comprehend it, but it's it's interesting enough that your brain goes, I need to see that. So that was a little bit of a point I wanted to bring up, Jeremy, that PTA is so good at defining his characters and fleshing out his characters, both as a writer and a filmmaker. And I think, to your point, that's what makes the unusual character, the unusual relationships, the non-traditional aspects of these characters and relationships work so well in his movies. I don't, on the other hand, think that's necessarily what forces us to feel like we need to see the movies again. I mean, it maybe it's part of it because I think it's a really good observation, like Chapin said, and I hadn't thought of it. So it certainly could be part of it. I I had more the, the thought that, like, we struggle to necessarily understand what his movies are about the first time around. Because if you go through that same list, like Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, Phantom Thread, I think especially, The Master, definitely. And and I think even here with Licorice Pizza, you start to wonder, like, what wh- whose story is this? What story is he trying to tell? And what is the motive for that storytelling? And I think that is really what brings me back and what makes me want to kind of uncover th- the truth of the movie. Maybe in addition to the characters, but I think the fact that he's so good at defining these characters and and building these characters and relationships that at least, you know, especially in this movie, obviously since it's most recent and then movies I've seen plenty of times like Boogie Nights, despite how fucked up it is, the relationships that Dirk Diggler has with Julianne Moore and Heather Roller Graham Girl and all and, these people. Yeah. And like, you know, I think you're just like, all on board with that that quote unquote family, and I think he's just he's maybe the best at that. You know, there's other filmmakers that come to mind. Tarantino defines characters as good as anybody too, but I think. But that... weirdly, his characters are more in, like Tarantino's characters are more traditionally motivated, whereas mm-hmm. PTA's characters are not traditionally motivated. I re- I read a view of this movie. Uh, it was just the headline of it, and I didn't read the whole thing because I thought it was asinine. But some somebody had said, like, what PTA does so well here is is able to capture childhood. And I'm like, what kind of childhood 
did you have? I mean, uh, what's his name? Um, <clears throat> uh, Gary Cooper Hoffman's character is is very much an untraditional sort of child. He's like this business owner and actor mm. and lives a life that I couldn't even have imagined tra- living as a as a kid. So I don't think I, I think that that review would have been an insult to. PTA. I think he would have thought, well, no, it's not traditional childhood in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't really capture that. No, I sort of looked at this movie almost as like a memory of PTAs in some way. Uh, And what I mean by that is if you look at kind of the strange things that are happening, and not strange like frogs falling from the sky, but strange like this character owning all these types of businesses and you know, having this friendship slash relationship with uh, a woman 10 years older than he is and, you know, being an actor and having experiences with these famous actors and directors and people around uh, around Hollywood and in the Valley. And it, it felt to me very much like, you know, snippets from, from someone's past as they For remember sure. it. And so rather than saying, like, this is about childhood... No, this is I mean, you could you could parlay that into a take that suggests like these are the things you remember about childhood and like, oh, I knew somebody who like sold mattresses and like that turns into a bigger story or something like that, because I think on its own and maybe if we read the whole review, it would suggest it would it would discuss it. But like to say like this is just a movie about uh, childhood or even to just say this is like a movie about nostalgia I think undersells it to a certain extent. And that's, again, going back to your opening point, that to me is what makes me really want to go back and see this because I'm like, I want to find out what this is really about. And the nice thing about Paul Thomas Anderson is you usually can find out with those next few viewings. It's not like Malick where you're like, I've got to watch this 500 times and not enjoy any of them and try to figure out what it's about or a, a David Lynch movie or something like this, like on the second or third viewing, you'll know what this movie's about. And and usually that makes them get better and better with each viewing. Yeah. I, I, I wonder who in his childhood owned the mattress place because that's also brought up in Punch Drunk Love. I feel like that well, is... I, also, I like the idea of Gary grows up to be yeah. uh, the mattress man <laughs> yeah, played yeah. by his dad. <laughs> that's a brilliant. That's brilliant. But like a lot of times when we're discussing PTA and, 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 and films like The Master and um, Phantom Thread, uh, uh, a word that gets tossed around a lot is like he just sort of captures a mood. He, he can figure out a tone and a mood that sort of you want to mainline into your veins without even knowing why, um, which I think he does to an extent here uh, a little bit. Do you guys agree? I think he captures it. Uh, see, I disagree. I think he does really capture childhood. I mean, it's not, it's in a brilliant way because it's a, it's a, this kid doing these things we've never seen before, you know, uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things as we always say. Uh, but I, I think it does. I think it does capture that. I mean, do you remember when you were little and you guys were doing, you know, you do, you'd have like your lemonade stand and then you do, you know, you're, right. you'd, you'd sell this or you try to sell flour, you know, whatever it is. I think that that's a very um, relatable thing. And I'm sorry, but I Jeremy, think that's what was my, your, 
I think that was my point that like this, it is a memory of that type of thing. And if this was a Wes Anderson movie, it would be those kids with a lemonade stand, you know, but with, in with Paul, one lemonade placed perfectly on each side of the exactly. Stand. But with a Paul Thomas <laughs> Anderson movie, it's like it's it's translated into something entirely different. Yes. And and I think like odd and unusual, but you know, relatable in some way, and also just like very interesting to watch because it is so untraditional. Like the the behavior and actions of of Gary. I also think it's it captures. I mean, what I would assume is a time. I mean, this what's so I'm looking yeah. at this this the cast, and a lot of these are, were real people. I mean, obviously John Peters was a real person, but like the the you know the politician that Benny Safdie played was a, is mm-hmm. a real guy. He's still alive. Um, and there's a bunch of other people who are are real people, or based well, on Sean real Penn, people. Um, yeah, is clearly in, and I think Tom Waits are probably based on. On real people. Yeah, Sean Penn is based on William Holden. Anyways. On William Holden, right? Yeah, so I think it's yeah. like it's capturing a time and a place, and there's always nostalgia associated with that. And this was a place... So, you know, like... To me, in a way, that's what movies are all about, right? Like, an individual capturing a time and a place that was important to him and making it accessible to people across the world in a way that they can both appreciate it, but also see themselves in it as well. Yeah. And get something out of it themselves, even if there's like very little relatability to their own lives. And I totally, totally agree with that. Um, So did you guys, I I guess we're dancing around. Like, did you like enjoy watching it while you were doing it? Were you like, having fun watching it or were you the whole time being like, Oh, this is just interesting. No, I really liked it. Um, and I like, and, and I think a huge credit and we'll probably talk more about her, but a huge credit is to Alana Haim for, for that. Like she, I thought her performance was just incredible and she was so likable and interesting that it was such a nice balance in the relationship with her and, Cooper Hoffman's Gary, who didn't seem like a real person, like, and not in a bad way, like, that was the intent, like, well, the things he's doing, and you brought it up, you're like, he's running all these businesses, he's selling mattresses, he's, uh, you know, then he's, what? what's the other business he had after the mattresses? The that he, Oh, the arcade. Yeah. Um, And it's just like, he doesn't seem real, but then you have this, like, very grounded, unique, interesting character of Alana that counterbalances it in just such a enjoyable way. And I thought she was so great in this movie, but this movie just had a classic, and I mean classic as in like throwback PTA vibe, ensemble, lively, good music, interesting scenes that are just sort of scenes, but like like you said, Chapin, you know, reflecting a time and a place. And then by the end, it like, you feel like you're leaving that time and place. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, but I have to be honest that I was a little disappointed. Hmm. 
What were you dis? I'm a little disappointed myself, but what well, was look, your? Like, and and <clears throat> and I think your opening question, Jeremy, was astute in a different, in many different ways. But one is that like you know uh, these movies tend to take not just like more viewings. I don't think us going back and watching it. I mean, I'm sure we gain some insight, but uh, I think time really helps you get some perspective. And you know when we flip this on in. Yeah, you know, I mean, it'd be great if we could revisit it before the fixies. I doubt that's going to happen, but um, when we, you know, revisit it when it is first released uh, on streaming or or whatever, I, I think we're going to gain more insight into it. And when we watch it, you know, like there will be blood when we watch it ten years later. I think it'll be, it'll it'll hopefully give give us some um, some perspective. But I I really. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit with with our last week's movie, Don't Look Up, and and you know wrestling with Lee not liking it, and and Jeremy, you and I really liking it, and I think at least my I I like that movie so much because it does kind of what I'm always talking about around fixie season. It's saying something, you know, and not every movie has to say something. Not every movie has to have a point of view, um, but this I, I don't I don't know what the point of this movie was to sort of put it bluntly, you know, like it, well, I, it, I think, did, it really did help make me feel nostalgic. I enjoyed watching it tremendously. The actors were great, but like, you know, we go on these tangents where we spend some time with, with John Peters. And then we, we spend some time with Sean Penn's character. And I, I don't know what those scenes meant. You know, I don't know what, I don't know what they were in there for. They were tremendously fun to watch. I was waiting for Bradley Cooper. I wanted more of Bradley Cooper, but I, I don't know what these um what these the, these tangents are meant to meant to, to 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 tell us and 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 i'm not you know i'm 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 confident that the more will be illuminated as we watch this movie more and more as i said but on the first viewing i just i just didn't know where they were going with it and and yeah that's i think that. i i had a similar experience um, I, I, again, I still really enjoyed it. I'm almost certain it's going to be on my fixie list, but there is, there are moments when you're watching this film where your brain's trying to kind of catch up to what the movie is show, like showing you. Cause there's a part of your brain that always wants to sort of solve the puzzle, right? Right. Like it's like, okay, why are we seeing this? What does this have to do with what I've seen before previously? What does this have to do with that? Where, where is this going? And I think because the first time through you're you're working sort of overtime to maybe connect to try to connect not necessarily connect the dots in the plot but connect what the filmmaker is trying to say to you that maybe uh you miss a little bit or the intent a little bit of just sort of being in the moment i think that's possible so jabin i was struggling to kind of at times with like what what is this scene here for and I think what worked for me, though, was that anytime Alana and Gary were together or doing things together or the scene revolved around them, I was I was happy because, like I said to, before to Jeremy, like as fucked up as this relationship is and I was rooting for them like I liked them. I wanted them to be together like, you know, and you you kind of see them drift apart, come back together and like it all feels very natural, but when they're like delivering the, 
waterbed to Bradley Cooper and they're trying to, you know, they they run out of gas and have to back down the street. And you're kind of like, okay, like obviously we know how we want this scene to end. We know what the stakes are. But what does this have to do with the rest of the movie? And to me, it was Alana and Gary are together on this adventure. And again, a memory or something like that. And all that stuff just worked nicely for me. And that I feel like was enough. And But I had similar questions throughout. And I think similar immediate reactions. Be like, okay, like, this is this an ensemble piece? Is this like a, um, is this just a series of moments? What's what's the direction the story's going? And I'm not entirely sure. I never really found it to be an ensemble piece. No, well, it's not. Honest. I, mean, I don't think it is. I actually found it kind of distracting that you had all these cameos in it. Yeah. You know, they'd pop up and not come back. And it's. I don't think it is an ensemble piece, but it is. it does bring in all these different people all the time in the way that a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies do, maybe aside from, I mean, I guess... There will be blood. The master and Phantom Thread don't, but all the other ones do. Yeah. Um. What did you guys think of Bradley Cooper's character? I, I mean, he I was, was a just blast. was he he was a blast. But did you ever feel like he was in a different movie than the rest of them? I mean, I thought that whole sequence so. was a, a different movie. Yeah. A no, bit. you think so? Because even before you get to that, you have Sean Penn and Tom Waits. Like, you have all these, like, outrageous characters in the movie. Yeah, but uh, th- that that's the other section of the movie that I didn't quite understand either. I mean, like, you you spent 15 minutes, or at least it felt like 15 minutes, on the build-up to that jump, and she just gets thrown off the motorcycle and, you know... He comes and helps her. I, you know, like, look, I, these were all fun scenes to watch. And and again, like a blast. And and not just that, like they were they felt heartwarming in a really in a way that like to a level that only I think PTA can do, like in a very sophisticated, you know, from a film, a, you know, s- filmically sophisticated way. You know, like I think mm-hmm. no one can do that better than him. But. Like. I don't know. Like, if we're going to compare this, you know, Phantom Thread is kind of a romance, but like, let's compare this more directly to like something like Punch Drunk Love. Like, to me, Punch Drunk Love, you know, at 90 minutes or whatever it is, just felt like more of a piece of itself than than this film, right? Like, and but, like, you could see what he was doing. And I think, you know, if we looked at that movie carefully, we could, you know, come, you know, I think it has something to say, you know, like it's got, it's it's focused and it, it's, you know, it's sort of experimental in a cool way. And, and it, I think to me, it's just, it felt much more congealed than this movie. And, you know, that's not my favorite PTA experience by any means. I think it kind of landed in the middle of my, I think of all of our um, top. I think you were, f- I think you had it higher than you expected. I remember yeah, that. I, I, I really enjoyed the, re- the rewatch, yeah. but like this, this movie, I just, I, you know, I just didn't, I just couldn't put together what, he was trying to say with it. And, and I, I'm really interested in what PTA has to say, you know, and, 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 you know, he's made what probably is a movie that I, I feel like is, is one of the most successful films in doing something like that with there will be blood. And um, so, you know, I'm disappointed as a fan, but as like a critic, you know, which I don't think we are, I don't know. It, it's, 
I think it's a successful movie. It's it's a it's like I said, it's a blast. It's it's it just it's but but I just don't know if it if it's as substantive as his other films. So that's an interesting point. I so you bring up Punch Drunk Love, which you know I would challenge a lot of people going into that movie to leave their first viewing knowing really what it's about. And again, Jeremy brought it up. It feels like a cop out when we're reviewing the movie, but like, I think we'll get a lot out of this movie with additional viewings. I think we should all really try to see it again. I, it may end up on like the, um, early release streaming since it's already leaving some theaters. Um, but for me, I think what, I think what I like so much about his ability to tell these like unusual stories and you throw on top of it, obviously his like expert filmmaking, which we can just so that we leave a movie without ever feeling like we were completely shortchanged. So we can take that and it will drive us to see it again and discover more and more. And I think like there will be blood is the perfect example. Like I was so disappointed when I saw that. Now it is arguably my favorite movie ever. I don't think this is as good as that, but I just think, is whether it's a cop out or not, there is so much in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that they are inevitably going to get better with repeated viewings. And it's not like the film festival thing where like you got to run it again because it's still good the first time, but it may not be your favorite. It may not be a movie you love the first time. And look like that's not, if we're going to talk about that and say, that's what the story with this movie is, then Chapin, you're right. We're not critics. (laughs) We're, we're PTA fans that want to like the movie better than we did, but there was enough here for me to really enjoy this. And I, maybe I'm being overly optimistic about my second viewing because like I mentioned to you guys, the theater I saw it in had sound issues, definitely took away a little bit from the experience. So maybe I'm a little uh, like overly optimistic about what another viewing will do for it. But I liked it a lot. So I, I think I'm, I think this is certainly one of my favorites of the year. I mean, it's, I could argue that it's evidence that it's not a banner year like you guys have been suggesting because at this point it's not there will be blood or boogie nights or something but I don't know I think this is a movie you guys should definitely like try to see again oh I definitely if if it's available I will try to see it again and not in the way I tried to see Tenet three times to just understand it in the way I want to experience it and and find those new things because I know I will Um, I'm curious what like what's a scene in this movie that sticks out to you guys is something is there moments that Google oh that's you know that is you know is part that 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 part of this movie really worked for me? Well, I can tell you, I, I you know, we we love the PTA push-ins and pull-outs. Um, I, I, he did something different in here with these like those tracking shots. I know that's not a yeah. scene, but just like I loved those though. They were so great, and and somehow they filmed those in a way that it just looked like like you know Chubby Cooper Hoffman was running like fifty miles an hour on that golf course, and right. it was just so compelling and, it's and the same rig he used for the motorcycle scenes in the master right 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 <laughs> and uh yeah it's just you know it's that i mean it's it's sort of a esoteric thing to talk about but like this idea of like 
moving on, I guess what, like the X axis or whatever, pushing in and pulling out, you know, that's one thing, but finding a compelling way to make essentially like, you know, trucking left to right. Interesting is I think a really cool move he did here. Um, well, I sim- similarly, not a scene, but what I really respected about this is the avoidance of cliches. Cause there were so many moments in this movie. You're like, here's where they're going to kiss. You know, here's where they're going to get together. Here's where their fight's going to, you know, they're going to have a blow up argument. Like none of those things really happen. You have a bit of a Hollywood conclusion with those, you know, tracking shots, those side side by side tracking shots as they're as they're both running. But it felt like an earned moment. But for the most part, this movie avoided cliches. And I and I was really happy about that because I was just like, okay, like if you want to do like a, you know, like a tell a, a, a romantic story with Paul Thomas Anderson at the helm. Sure. It's going to be better than average, but it's not unique or what I'm looking for from Paul Thomas Anderson. But by avoiding those, you know, typical cliche moments throughout the movie, it, it allowed it to, it kind of kept me more engaged in their, in their relationship, in their romance, because you weren't entirely sure what was going to happen. You weren't sure if these two were going to end up together in the end or how they may end up together, or what their future holds, because the movie never really went down the path you'd expect. And so that, that to me is something I liked a lot. The, the people I saw this with, some of them had a big problem with the age gap and how the movie ended. Did that register with you guys at all? Yeah, for sure. It's hard to ignore. That's the thing. Like, it's hard to ignore. Did I have a big problem with it? No. I, I, I thought it was. I don't know if it tr- is hard to ignore. That's what I think is kind of brilliant about Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, like, it, is, it is a bit hard to. But only because that's such a big gap. Like, I wish she was, like, I think, I think Sarah said, like, she wishes she was 21 or something. Not that that makes like a big, huge difference, but 20, but 15 to 26 and, 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 you know, 15 to 21. I don't know. It seems like, oh, okay, maybe she I should, mean, be, if the roles were she should have been in, she should have been in college or something, you know? Um, I'm not but, entirely sure what the purpose of the age gap was. Well, honestly. That's, Me either. That's the thing. Is there, what was like, why not make the age gap? I mean, I get she's the older girl. Well, I get that whole thing, and he's the young, sort of charming uh, high school boy, but you could have well, still done that with less of a gap. Well, he's pretty mature for his age, at least in terms of like his business ventures, and she's just kind of a... Yeah. She just doesn't have her life together at all. And, yeah. Kind and, of a failure to launch case, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it does seem oddly complicated for, like especially now i mean just just change the change the age yeah and also a lot was made of these two actors looking the way that they looked like having normal looking people in you know a big movie yeah as the leads did that factor into any of your thought process when watching this no but i think i have to think that it it had something on like on the subconscious level in terms of just like accepting the world that was created like instead of having you know beautiful movie stars playing these characters that would take you out of the time and place that he's trying to authentically create versus you know having kind of just these regular looking people i think works i don't i didn't spend a lot of time thinking i didn't think a lot about the age gap or what these characters looked like at all i think that's partly because they were both really convincing 
uh, in their performances. I want to hear what you guys thought about that, too. Yeah, I love the performances. And real quick, I never got to answer my favorite scene. Um, it was the scene where uh, where uh, Gary brings Alana into the casting agency, and he's just like, say yes to everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, who, I, I, I can't find that actress that was in... Um, all cast and crew. I'll find her in a second, but she was so good. Um, and that was a really funny scene. And, and Paul Thomas Harriet Anderson. Sansom Harris. There you go. Just wanted to give her her due. Um, <clears throat> and, and Paul Thomas Anderson's just great at creating those genuinely funny moments in his movies. Um, <clears throat> Don't you think that's kind of like what this whole movie is, whether they're funny or not? He creates just like... Uh, a bunch of genuine moments throughout this whole movie. Yeah, I, I think that's what he's striving for. And he never gets lost, even like a scene that's that funny, he never gets lost in the comedy either. It's not like all of a sudden you have, um, you know, this this sort of, you know, broad comedy moment where even though it is funny... You... I mean, there is like the broadest of broad comedy moment in this movie that, somehow doesn't feel like broad cheap comedy with the scenes with John Michael Higgins and his Asian wives. Yeah. Not sure <laughs> oh my that. God. That yeah. Why, what did that, we were kept looking at each other like, why are they? I'm like, what is I happening here? I found them funny, but I was like, what is happening here? It's, it's funny, but like, was that, what was that? Like, again, is that a memory that he, I, he never really tries to explain it away? See, you know? I, I think, I think, you know, that that's the whole point of the idea behind the memory is like he had to have just known somebody that did that or something, some version of that. And that's an exaggerated thing. And you brought up the mattress salesman, although it's interesting because I when I moved to L.A., I definitely bought my mattress from some guy in the valley that just like had a bunch of mattresses in a storage unit. So <laughs> that must just be a thing like that he remembers from then. And like even the relationship, like. Did he or did somebody he know have a relationship with someone 10 years older than him in high school? Like, I think I think that's what this movie is. And, and you know, I do have a problem with the idea behind making these very personal movies that aren't as important to the audience as they are to the filmmaker. But in this case, I think it's, you know, unique enough. To work, and I think I think audiences get. It's not like the audience isn't getting anything from it. You know, I think right. if it was, it would be one thing if it was just such a specifically unique thing to a director that it made no sense to an audience. But I feel like because he's such a good filmmaker, you're still getting something from it. Yeah. Um, performances. I thought. I thought. Both of them were very good. I I mm -hmm. would agree with you, Lee, that Alana was the sort of uh, standout of the two. But Cooper Hoffman held his own for sure. He was really good. I think Alana Haim was great, like really, really great, like one of the best performances of the year for sure. Yeah, I I I mean it's hard to argue with that. I I mean I, other than that brief cameo I just mentioned, there's nobody else that really stood out or had enough time. I thought Bradley Cooper <laughs> was a bit Your too Your second favorite was the casting yeah. agent. Yeah, Bradley Cooper was a bit too broad f for me to 
be like, oh, that was a good performance. It was probably a very fun performance for him, for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it really was. It, it was about those two. Yeah, everybody else's roles were very small, so it's hard to say, like, yeah, you know who. Although I, you know, who I really liked was Skylar Giz- Gizondo. Um, oh yeah, he's, he's the good. Uh, yeah. he plays Lance, who dates Alana earlier in the movie. I, he's funny. I liked I liked his performance a lot. He does that character really well in a few other things. Um, so that was a good performance for sure. And John C. Riley. Chapin, uh, did yeah. you catch the John C. Riley cameo? I did. I did. Um, nice. We, did all, you know, we all got Le- it. Leo's dad is in this movie. Really? George he, DiCaprio? He plays the uh he plays the guy who sells him as the first waterbed. Oh my god, really? That I weird looking that was Leo's guy. Dad. Yeah. That's funny. So funny. Leo's one of those people that's like you you it's it's weird when you find out that he has parents. It is. It is. Yeah. He wasn't <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> conceived in a, <laughs> in a manger. Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um all right. Well, uh, what else is there to say about this? I mean, technically, it's nearly perfect. I love the use of music in it. I mean, it's hard to get these movies anymore that have like sort of pop music that really hits on an emotional level, and not many people are better at it than than PTA. Yeah, I wish we could. I don't know. What would what do you, you hope for, Chapin? What are your? No, I just I your, wish we could just dig, we could dig a little deeper on this movie, but maybe there's nowhere to dig. I think we I really think we need to see it again. I think we're gonna have a lot more discussions about this movie, and ho- hopefully some can be had this year, but they might not be. Um, it's to me, it's there's only really I think been one Paul Thomas Anderson movie that we have not discussed multiple times, and that's probably Inherent Vice. Which I'm the are, only one I've only seen once other yeah, than we're not, this one. We're not huge fans of that movie. And, you know, I, I actually think it would be an interesting rewatch. But every single one of his movies, the more we see it, the more time that goes by, the more they become part of our just everyday conversations. And I think that's going to be the case with it. I don't know where it will fall in terms of ranking his <laughs> movies. But yeah, I just <laughs> like this movie. This is his most expensive movie that he's made. Really? Yes. A lot of wow. lot of locations. A lot of locations. A lot, lot of period stuff. Period stuff. Yeah. yeah. I I, rem- I remember they were running across a bridge and there was like a highway underneath, and I was like, oh fuck! There's period cars going under the uh, the bridge. I was like, oh, kill me now. <laughs> All right. So finally, why is this movie called Licorice Pizza? No idea. I think it's because it's. It, it it alludes back to your memory thing, yeah. Lee. Something it's had like, to exist, yeah. So, like this this hodgepodge. It's kind of a little bit of a hodgepodge of his memories growing up, and maybe licorice pizza, not necessarily together. Yeah, but that was it. But that's the only thing I can really it think of, and that might be a stretch. But I actually do have one one f- more question for you guys that maybe maybe we'll get a little bit more. Tr- um... Uh, legs out of this podcast is is whose movie is this like who's who is this movie about is it Alana or is it Gary I think it's Alana honestly I started to think that too I think I left thinking it was Gary but you have more scene more scenes of substance 
about Alana and who she is than you do about Gary. Gary, you never really fully understand who he is. Well, who? here's a question. Who do you care about what happens to them after the movie's over more? Hmm. I think that's your answer. Oh, I think Alana deserves more, deserves best. You know what yeah. I mean? Why? But, She's the yeah, one who committed rape, allegedly. <laughs> Statutory. <laughs> no, but she she is... So Gary, like, is a, you know, he's smart and he's talented and resourceful, but he just kind of continues on the path that he's created for himself and maybe changes a little bit for the sake of Alana. But Alana is the opposite, right? She has, she's kind of not sure what she wants out of life. She gets high. She lives at home, um, you know, changes jobs a bunch and they're, you know, dead end jobs. And then you know, little by little, you start to see her finding her groove and becoming the woman she wants to be. And I think that's the journey you want to see be successful. I don't know. I'm pretty torn. I'm like, I I think I'd lean Alana, but uh, I also am very curious what happens to Gary after this. Does he go on to become an a- an actor as an adult? Does his life fall apart? Does he become the mattress man? Yeah, that's what and th- happens. We know and threaten Adam Sandler. <laughs> I don't know. The phone sex line. So evidently, Gary was based on Gary Goatsman, who is uh, Tom Hanks's producing partner, who made one of our favorite movies of 2020, Greyhound. Great film. And News oh, of the so, World. So wait, how is he based on him? Was he an actor? He, was he a child actor? His exploits as a performer and a waterbed salesman inspired his friend Paul Thomas Anderson's 2021 film Licorice Pizza. Oh. Well, that now we know like, what happens to Gary. That seems very. That seems like a very vague inspiration. I feel like that's maybe a small piece of... I mean, he sold waterbeds and he and was, was an actor. a Yeah. Right. But I don't think that's what inspired the movie, necessarily. I think he maybe got those ideas for the character there from him. Like well, I said, when, all these people from the, the past that he's known. When uh, PTA phones into the podcast after listening to this, we'll ask him directly. So uh, listen up for this next podcast where we ask Paul Thomas Anderson what this movie was about. Does that, Is there any point where we learn Gary's last name in the movie? Valentine. Oh, that's right. Gary Valentine. Just like, that's a solid name. Sounds like a stage name. The whole Haim family. How do you say it? Haim? Haim? Haim. I think it's Haim. Haim? The, the whole family's in the movie. Well, they're, they're all so, playing they're themselves. All in the, the band. band. The band is yeah. the three sisters. No, I know that. Yeah, I know that. But their dad plays their dad. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. Their actual dad plays their dad. They all and do they a good job, in, too. Yeah, they grew up in the valley. I think it's... I wonder what that conversation was. Like, Do you think Alana approached... Um, Paul Thomas Anderson after no, he directed no. a few music no, videos and sure was like, "Hey, was, yeah. I have an, uh, I have an idea. I want to be in your movie." She pitched no. the whole thing to the whole movie to. <laughs> this is her idea. Uh, anything else, guys? Technically, obviously, the movie was great. Yeah, I have to say, um, I saw this on the seventy millimeter blow up, and. It's it's hard to watch these movies now projected on film. I mean, that's probably the best way to watch this movie, and it was it was a tough watch. Why do you say that? Well, there's a so there's a there's a f- flickering I think from the global shutter of a of a projector 
Yeah. You know, it's like a flicker, right? And and you I think we get we we we've gotten we get you get used to that when you used to watch movies in 35 millimeter in the theater, but now with digital projection and you know watching everything like that's not part of the viewing experience anymore and so like if you just look off center a little bit like you can really really see it um and you know like not everything was very sharp um i know that's probably the point i mean he chose old lenses to give it that kind of look but yeah i mean i wouldn't say like i'm totally sold on how these movies look um i love the way phantom thread looks um but yeah you know I did not see it oh. on seventy millimeter, so I didn't have that issue. Yeah, I barely but you saw, saw it sound. Did you not see it was on film? Was it not projected on film? I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah, didn't probably okay. was. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, then. Yeah. So, put the digital. Um. All right, guys. Well, to be continued. Yeah, I'm sure this will be to be continued later this year. From a disappointing um, pod. Forty eight minutes. One of our favorite filmmakers. We've got, we've talked about him too much. Yeah, there's a whole retrospective. So our podcasters have resorted to just just listen to the old pods. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I've still been Jeremy Fisk. That's Lee Carlo, Japen Hemingway. You know where to find us. Instagram, you know, email. You're not going to say it, whatever. You know, try to find us if you can. Uh, Fixie's coming up, so... That's exciting, <laughs> Jeremy. You you so rarely host, but you but you put hundred percent into it when you do. <laughs> yeah, Omicron, fucking hell. So there you go. Uh, oh. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.